Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have my colleague and friend, Kelly Phillips Herb. Kelly's a tax attorney, business advisor, and host of the Tax Girl podcast. I reached out to Kelly after reading her column in Forbes about SBA PPP loans. She read my article on entrepreneur.com on the same subject, and she invited me to be on her podcast. It was one of my favorite interviews ever. You can find the link on our website, prisonist.org. Today's podcast continues our conversation and broadens it to include good, solid business and tax strategies that small business people can use to get through these distressing economic times. While many small businesses will certainly go under during this pandemic, unfortunately, others will reset, repurpose, and flourish. Of course, we also give updated information as to SBA, PPP, and EIDL loans. So coming up, our small business edition with guest Kelly Phillips-Herb on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer. So I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi folks and welcome to White Collar Week. Today we have um, a special guest on, Kelly Phillips Herb. Um, Kelly and I have a, a, a great short history together. Um, I reached out to her after one of her articles in Forbes on SBA PPP loans. And um, I guess she liked the uh, email I sent her. Yes. Um, she, she then um, checked out an article that I had written in Entrepreneur on the same, um, on the same subject. And we became friends. And I, I appeared on her Tax Girl podcast which is a fantastic podcast. She's had great guests on um, already in, in its new iteration. And uh, you can find out more information about that on, um, on our website um, and there are links to Kelly. But um, I thought I would have her on tonight and we would talk about small business in general. Um, I think that the, uh, and the uh, headlines are being dominated by things like stimulus checks and by PPP forgiveness, all important topics. But um, if I had a small business right now, um, I guess I do have a small business, but, but if I had a small business right now and I was struggling to survive in these times, what I'd really want is what do I need to do in order to get through or get over the hurdle? And so many businesses are, um, are, are not going to make it, unfortunately, through this, but there are some that will prosper. And mostly I think those are the ones that are... Um, that are fleet and can turn quickly and adapt. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk to Kelly all about that and certainly some of the tax aspects as well as SBA, PPP, and uh, IDL, EIDL and all of that. So Kelly, welcome to White Collar Week. It's so good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, re it's really great. So Kelly, what I'm going to do is, um, as we discussed, I'm going to give you four or five minutes just to give your background and, mm -hmm. and kind of who you are. and um, talk about driving your daughter down to North Carolina for college if you want, but um, anything that will um, ha have our audience kind of get to know you better, and then we'll just kind of launch into the conversation. Sure. Well, since you mentioned uh, my daughter in college, I'm actually, I'm a North Carolina girl. 
I um, I grew up in southeastern North Carolina in a tiny, well, it was tiny then, tiny little town called Hampstead, North Carolina. And um, I was lucky enough to get accepted to the North Carolina School in Science Mathematics, um, where I went to high school and then I went to uh, Meredith College. So I was a North Carolina girl um, my whole life. Um, I broke my mother's heart when I applied to law school and uh, moved up north. Um, uh, she, I, we, I tell the story. She's my mom's very southern, and um, I went to Temple University School of Law in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I was there a week. And we were having uh, my mom came up to see me. We were having breakfast at the Broad Street Diner, and my mom just sat there very, very quietly, didn't say anything. And then at one point, she said. Listen to her, Wayne. She sounds just like a Yankee. And I'd only been here, I'd only been there a week. Um, but I loved Philadelphia. I loved everything about it. Um, and so I stayed. I was lucky my last year of law school, I got an internship at the Internal Revenue Service. Um, I had always said I'd never take tax classes, but I had this one professor who was phenomenal. I'd actually taken her class as a last resort to get away from some of the trial work because I didn't want to do trial work. And um, I just happened to stumble into this class that I loved and started following professor instead of the subject. So if I saw her teach something, I'm like, I've got to go take her class um, and ended up loving it. And so not only did I get my JD, but I got my master's of law in tax as well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, and right out of the gate, I started doing actually estate planning um, work, estate, high end estate planning in uh, a little town in New Jersey. Um, but and then I moved to Center City, Philadelphia, where I also did high net worth estate planning. Um, but my my heart was more towards middle class that I grew up. Um, I didn't know any female lawyers growing up. I knew one lawyer, just someone in my church. Um, I grew up in an area where people didn't have access to legal services. So it was important to me um, to be able to provide sophisticated legal services to normal people. Because I think sometimes we get into this habit of assuming that um, people who need legal help are only, you know, high-end people. And that's not true. There are small businesses. There are families who need estates work. There are businesses who need succession planning. Um, and so when the more I started working, especially with businesses that needed succession planning, the more I started helping folks with individual tax needs. And so I sort of kind of morphed into, um, it's funny, I would consider myself a generalist now. Um, which is something I would have shunned before because I wanted to be niche, like everybody wants to have a niche. Um, but I actually consider myself a generalist, but with a specialty, which is that I tend to focus more on like middle class, um, individuals and, and small businesses. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell what I, how my legal career began. And then, um, a few years in, um, my husband and I actually decided I left, we both left our big center city firms and started our own firm um, together. And we did our own website, which is very, at the time was very high tech of us. And I started doing updates on the back end. Um, and it was hard at some point to always update on the back end. And so I had heard about this thing called a blog. And I'm like, you know what I could do? I could just do a blog and put all my tax updates up there. Um, so that's what I started doing. I started a blog. I think my dad maybe was my only like reader <laughs> for the first couple of years. Um, and then one day I got um, a nice email from the American Bar Association Journal to let me know that my blog had been nominated 
um, for one of the best uh, blog awards. And then eventually Tax Girl, which is my blog, was um, it got accepted into the Blog Hall of Fame with the ABA. Wow. Yeah, journal, which was nice. And it attracted some attention from some other folks. So since then, I've had to, the opportunity to write for some really great um, uh outlets like time and um i've i've been interviewed by bbc and it's it's been really cool mm -hmm. but i still uh, mostly do my blog and then i have columns regular columns at forbes and at bloomberg tax so i'm kind of all over the the place when it comes to talking about tax but one of the reasons i am and i feel very strongly about this is that i don't think we make tax accessible to people who need to understand these really sophisticated concepts yeah. that affect all of us and again, if you, you know, if you have tons of money, you can pay some of these uh, premier law firms and they're great um, to give you advice. But sometimes you just want to know where your stimulus check is or how you can amend a return and you don't have the resources to pay somebody to find that out. So, um, so I'm your tax girl. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, um, I haven't told you this, but um, I kind of got my started through myself started through a blog too. Oh, really? But, but of course, um, by then, um, I had gone through my legal issues and I'd, mm -hmm. I'd been to prison and I came back from prison and, um, and I wasn't practicing law anymore. I can't practice law anymore, but I, I had become a minister and, and, um, I was ministering in, in the inner city, um, in Bridgeport mm -hmm. during the day, but in the evening and early morning, I was going to recovery in where we lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. So it was a little strange living in Greenwich and, sure. and working in Bridgeport. And I was blogging about the, the, the kind of differences, the cultural differences and, and the similarities between those two vastly different socioeconomic places. Oh, that's cool. Although in the same, in the same county. Yes. And um, I got a call one day from a, a hedge fund reporter. And he said to me, are you the hedge fund to ministers? I mean, you're the minister to hedge funders. Uh -huh. And I, I well, no, I mean, I, I minister in the inner city and I work with hedge funders in Greenwich, mm -hmm. but I've never put those concepts together. And he said, well, maybe you should. And that's how it all started. Oh, wow. That's Isn't, cool. that, yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss the, the days back when blogs were newish because i do think there was a lot of really good content that came out of just that kind of thing where somebody says you know why don't you write about this this is what we're missing rather than what's going to get me a ceo and you know now it's some of it's so manufactured but it, yeah. back in the day it was really cool that you know because i i do the same like people people email me story ideas they ask me questions from mm -hmm. my ask the tax girl and it's still very reader oriented. And I, yeah. I love that somebody read stuff and knew stuff about you and asked you to do something else or inspired you to do something else. Yeah. I think that's cool. So we're, we're in a time period now that is probably perfect for your expertise and also for being empathetic and caring and compassionate towards people who, are, um, who need their businesses to survive. Mm -hmm. And yet, we know that many of them, many of these businesses are not going to survive. Right. Um, so, what I'd like to just start to dive into is kind of what's the 
prototypical situation right now? Like what's going on where, where you and I are both getting phone calls from people and they're, they're upset, they're crying, they don't know what to do. Right. Um, and, and, and what, what's the real driver of that? And, and is it, is it that business is dried up? Is that, is it that they, um, they, they never really had, uh, they haven't had a handle on their businesses for a long time, for example. Um, and this is just uh, amplified all that. So what's the prototypical small business phone call that you're getting now? And, and how do you respond? So since a lot of my, so I'm tax oriented. So a lot of my phone calls are obviously going to involve tax. Um, so I, I, the small businesses that I'm hearing from right now that are struggling, um, I would say the, the main struggle for a lot of them is this idea that they were going to kick the can down the road. And what I mean by that is it might have been someone who called me last year because they had a tax problem. Mm-hmm. So maybe they owed, let's say, under $25,000 last year in taxes, um, but they really didn't want to do too much right now to attract attention with the IRS because they were fairly confident 2020 was going to be their year. Yeah. They were going to make enough money and they were going to pay off this other debt Mm -hmm. and it was all going to go away. They just wanted to know the best way to do that. If they're getting a notice from IRS, how do they respond to it? Like that kind of thing. And so where we are now is those people who maybe at the end of 2019 were in a holding pattern to see what their options were in 2020, never had that moment where the economy, or maybe they did in February, where um, things were good and they thought they were going to be able to fix things. And, and that's a comment. So I'm a fixer. That's sort of not like in a Michael Cohen fixer way, but I'm, I'm a fixer and that I help people fix their, their tax problems. More, more, um, more a Michael Clayton kind of way. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I, I help people um, who are, are in a jam, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's a, a lot of people that are calling me are not calling me because they want general advice, but they actually have a specific problem. And I would say that with small businesses in particular, especially if they're an S corporation or if they are a pass through of any other sort, like an LLC, um, where they're not taking a wage, where they're not having payroll tax withheld, Mm -hmm. um, those are the people who tend to get into the most trouble. And I don't mean the most trouble like in a mean way. I mean like the most tax trouble because they didn't have enough withheld. They needed to make estimated payments and they didn't. Right. Um, and then again, a perfect example is, you know, you make quarterlies all year long at the end of 2019. If you already owed money, chances are you weren't writing a check to cover your estimated because you already owed a debt. So you were thinking as soon as that next big check comes in, I'm going to fix this. Right. And the next big check didn't come in. Right. And so that's what I'm hearing from a lot of people right now. And, and again, that, that also extends when I say small businesses and, and pass-throughs. That extends to freelancers, so mm-hmm. gig workers, um, and 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 it's funny because I think we come to believe that gig workers are people who make just a little bit of money, um, and that's not always true. Because while there are people who are gig workers who are driving an Uber part time on the weekends, there are people whose actual real jobs are considered gig economy by the IRS. So, yeah. for example, I have I have a doctor who um, he, he's an anesthesiologist who is a client of mine. And he travels and he is not a employee of any particular hospital. He has mm-hmm. visiting privileges at many hospitals. Um, he makes a lot of money, um, but that means he has to pay big quarterlies. 
Um, I had uh, about a month ago, three clients that lost their jobs in one week. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really, it was hard for me um, because they all called me and said, what am I going to do now? Because not only do they not have money moving forward, but they all, these were people who had existing um, liabilities. And so when you're trying to, you know, how to deal with the IRS, the idea is that you're going to tell them how you're going to resolve something. It's really difficult to figure out how to resolve something when you're not sure how you're going to pay your mortgage. So um, that's kind of what I'm hearing right now is, is I'm hearing from people who already had problems and now they're worse. Well, are these people that um, are going to be pointed potentially somewhere down the line towards a bankruptcy or towards an offering compromise? I mean, are, are, when, when, things get, when things get dire enough, right. it feels like the options change. Right. Yeah. So the problem with bankruptcy is that, uh, so bankruptcy is a, is a valid option for a lot of folks and a lot of small businesses. The problem with bankruptcy in a tax context is that there are very strict rules about what you can discharge and what you can't right. in bankruptcy. Right. And without getting too technical, because it matters, the type of bankruptcy matters. There's a lot of things that matter. Mm-hmm. But the general rule is there are certain um, types of taxes that you can't discharge. Those are trust fund taxes. So withholding, like employee withholdings. Um, sales tax is another good example. Um, so those really can't be discharged in bankruptcy, typically. And then um, most recent tax, year, tax years usually cannot be discharged in a bankruptcy. So bankruptcy, I don't see a lot of folks that come through my door where that's going to be like the number one option. Now, I do have occasionally, like I actually had a guy that I referred to a bankruptcy attorney recently um, because there's, and he's not happy because he doesn't want to do bankruptcy, but, but there's not a lot of other options that I can give him at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned offering compromise. Offering compromise uh, does work for some people. Um, so an offering compromise for folks who are listening who don't know what that is. Um, it is when you tell the IRS, I can't pay everything. Typically, it's when you say, I can't pay all that I owe. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to work out a deal. So either you're going to give them a lump sum or you're going to agree to pay over time a smaller amount. Um, the, the success rates with offers and compromise are very, very low to mm-hmm. begin with. And they've been declining. Unfortunately, there are a few tax resolution firms out there, and I'm saying firms, um, I'm, I'm actually making air quotes you, uh, down uh, below my desk. Um, there are good ones out there, but there are also mills where they take your money and they don't get you very far because they give people false hope that they're going to be able to get pennies on the dollar. And there was actually a very famous um, uh attorney who used to use that phrase quite a bit and she's no longer practicing because she got in a lot of trouble um, for basically operating a mill. But there are a lot of people who have been taken advantage of by these kinds of services where um, you give people this idea that if you owe a lot of money to the IRS, you can walk away by paying just a little bit of money. And those cases are very, very rare. Um, Usually you have to have very extenuating circumstances because the IRS has a formula. Um, and the, the, the quick and dirty thing to understand is that they generally have 10 years from the date of the assessment to collect. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you didn't, it's, let's say you filed your t- tax return on time in 2019. Um, so you filed it, um, it for 2019 and 2020 and you mm-hmm. filed it by July 15, which was the deadline this year. Right. Um, 2020, the IRS can chase you for that money from July 15 
2020 to July of 20, I'm sorry, 2030. So they have 10 years to chase you for that money. Right. If you're out of work this year, yes, that's unfortunate. And yes, maybe the IRS will stop hounding you mm -hmm. for a year, but that doesn't mean they're going to give you a uh, grant you an offer because they're looking, they're going to look at how much money you owe and how much time they have to collect. And let's go back to that one I said earlier, like, let's say you owe 25,000, which feels like a lot of money, right? But the IRS is thinking they have 10 years to collect $25,000. They're pretty, usually going to be pretty uh, reasonably sure, especially if you're only having a short-term hiccup, that you're they're going to be able to collect that money right. from you. If you owe a million dollars, and this is where those statistics get a little skewed, where people look at it and they're like, oh, but other people get these pennies on a dollar. If you owe a million dollars... And realistically, you're not going to make more than 20000 a year or, or whatever because mm -hmm. of your circumstances. Then the IRS is looking and they're going to be a little more logical, right? They're going to say, there's no way. If this person isn't even making 100000 a year, how are they going to pay us 100000 a year? So then they're more willing to take a haircut. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what, the, there's a lot of factors that go into those offers. And it also depends on circumstances. Um you know, again, if it's a short term, if you've lost your job this year, there are things you can do to get IRS off your back. You can go into something called uncollectible status, which is right. where they just stop calling you. <laughs> um, but but that doesn't mean that the debt goes away. Right. And so one of the things I try to encourage people to do is think about long term strategies, because when I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of this kicking the can, if you're just kicking the can year after year, that that 10 years is going to become, you know, eventually it's going to run out. And the closer you get to the end of it, you're you're thinking this is good because there's only a little bit of time left. The IRS is also thinking, oh my gosh, there's only a little bit of time left. And so they're likely to be more aggressive. And that's when they start, um, it, it may be more likely that you're going to see liens or levies or something that actually puts your other assets in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I try to tell people like, don't, don't not open the mail. Don't not answer the phone. Like, don't put these things away and think you're going to think about them later because pushing them down the road makes them bigger and they don't go away yeah um our audience on on this particular podcast is is not um just people who have criminal justice issues or people in the in the uh criminal justice ecosystem mm -hmm. but lately it's people who are who are concerned that they may get swept up into a lot of bad decisions that they've made or I don't want to necessarily use the word bad, maybe unhealthy right. decisions they've made. And, mm -hmm. and certainly one of them is, is uh, um, not prioritizing correctly, as you've just said, because, these, because you're responsible for the 941s and, and that's other people's money. Yes. Right. It's not your money. It's other people's right. money. Mm -hmm. And, and so if someone came in um and said, listen, I have X amount of dollars and I need to apply it in a, in a methodical way. Or right? I know that I'm confused as to what, but maybe you're going to tell them that you need to apply it in a methodical way, but they're confused and they need to know what to do first, second, third, mm -hmm. certainly paying trust funds, paying people's other people's money is right up there at the top. Right. Cause obviously if you, if you have a certain, you, you only have a certain pile of money and you have bigger liabilities. You want to make sure that you put your money towards the things that are going to be the most beneficial. And the first thing, like you just mentioned, so I talked about trust fund taxes earlier, things like sales taxes, payroll taxes, mm -hmm. that wasn't your money to begin with. So if you spent it, 
the IRS will chase you for those. And depending on the circumstances, you can actually get into trouble. So when you hear people talk about how um, the IRS sees things from them or they went to jail for IRS fraud, those those are not that's not the normal collections process like the irs understands that people don't necessarily have money where people tend to get into a lot of trouble whether on the criminal side or again on the seizure side where your stuff is actually at risk of being yeah. taken is when you don't pay attention to irs when they come calling so you ignore them a lot and that makes them mad <laughs> um and but also when you're spending other people's money because you have to remember that those those sales taxes that you collected from your customers but didn't pay to the state that wasn't your money to begin with so it's not that you're not just paying your taxes which is what's happening like on an income tax like about it if i decide not to pay my taxes on the 1040 this year i'm just not paying my taxes but when i'm not paying those trust fund taxes that means i've taken someone else's money and probably spent it because that's where most people get into trouble they think that they're gonna they're like okay i've got ten thousand dollars with the sales taxes i need to pay rent i'm gonna pay my rent and then I'm going to make enough money next month that right, I'll just put the right. $10,000 mm -hmm. back. Um, if you, if you don't do that, if you don't pay that off, that can be problematic because that wasn't your money to begin with. And that's where when you sometimes hear people getting into trouble, like again, criminal charges, that sort of thing. So if you came to my office and you said, I have, I have some money, I have some tax liabilities, I would say, let's look at what kind they are. Um, if there's tax, taxes, uh, tax liabilities that are related to those trust fund taxes, um, that's where we need to start checking those off first and then you start looking at uh the the age of taxes because as i mentioned before there's a statute of limitations on collections mm -hmm. if you have really old tax liabilities and you have really new tax liabilities depending on your circumstances and obviously you know everybody's situation is different but a lot of times paying those new tax liabilities makes more sense because eventually those old ones are going to fall off, right? They're going to go away if they're not trust fund taxes, if they're just normal taxes. Right. Um, they're going to go away because IRS can't, can't collect forever on those. It's different though with states. And this is why, you know, being lawyers, you, we always tell everybody, but, but, but it depends. Um, like in my state of Pennsylvania, there is no, um, assessment statute of limitations. They can, they can chase you forever. Yeah. A lot of localities are like that too. Philadelphia has some of those kinds of laws. So you want to, the reason it makes sense to go see a professional, even if you can't afford to pay a professional forever, like even if you just need to sit down and pay someone for an hour of their time right. to kind of get you prioritized, mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things you want to know. If, if the statute of limitations is about to run on something and the IRS isn't really giving you a hard time on it, maybe that's what you skip and you focus on the state taxes that you know are never going to go away. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a priority. Um, and there are other, you know, there, there, are, there's things that can be forgiven. Like you mentioned bankruptcy earlier, there are debts that can be forgiven that aren't taxes that you might opt to not pay if you were going to, um, pursue a bankruptcy, because those might be things that you can discharge where your taxes cannot. So if you were looking at two bills, those bills may not be equal in terms of how you can dispose of them. Right. So if you can't get rid of one, maybe that's the one you pay down. So again, that's the kind of advice I would de definitely recommend seeking out a professional, whether it's an accountant, an attorney, uh, an enrolled agent, somebody who can sit down with you and say, look, here's what needs to happen. Here's the order I would recommend because it's, yeah, especially when you feel like you're sinking. Sometimes people are just plugging holes. 
So they're just paying whoever's the loudest. Um, and that's not the best option because the IRS is actually oddly quiet <laughs> a lot. Like they'll send you mail, but they're not calling you every five seconds, right. whereas MasterCard is. Mm-hmm. So maybe you pay off MasterCard because you just want the phone to stop ringing, but that's maybe not the best strategy. So I would definitely recommend talking to somebody and saying like, here's my limited pile of money. Here are my obligations. Here's what I realistically expect to see or not, depending on whether you're unemployed or, or what's mm-hmm. going on. Help me figure out what to do. Um, there are people who call me now, um, mostly because either you or I, we, we could be points of entry for, for people who have problems. Mm-hmm. So could a psychologist or psychiatrist. Or whatever. Sure. There is a point of entry. And um, I certainly I certainly need to know at all times what my um, what the limits are of the advice I can give. Um, and so I'm generally peeping, telling people to um, to go take a consultation with a lawyer because often they have complicated issues, especially if they're involved in, in criminal matters. Right. But what I see is people panic mm-hmm. and, and they want to be good people. They want to be, they, they want to do the right thing, but they don't know how to survive in trauma. They don't know what to do. Right. So I've had people call me and say, for example, well, um, we can't pay our bills in this business, a small business. We can't pay our bills. We don't know what to do. M- money's dried up. So I'm borrowing money on credit cards, personal credit cards, to right. pay corporate debts yeah. because they think that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe it actually helps mollify some kind of shame or guilt or something that they have, but there's no there's not particularly a good strategy employed right there. So what I do, I say right away, stop, call a lawyer right now, mm-hmm. because you need to know what the, what, what they can come after you for or, and not. Right. And, and one of the things that I think a lot of people don't always realize is that when you have a business, you know, the, one of the first things that people tell you when you're starting your business is you should incorporate and you incorporate because you want that liability protection, right? So if something bad happens at your business, then they don't take your home. Right. Um, when you start doing what you just said, which is mixing those things, um, two things can come of that. One, it makes record keeping really hard for when it comes time to do your taxes. And I can't tell you how many audits where IRS is looking through personal mm-hmm. um, check checking accounts and things because you're mixing uh, funds. And that's not to say, like, I know a lot of accounts absolutely 100% say you should have separate accounts. Um, I think that's true if you have a separate legal entity. A lot of people who are solos or who are gig economy, they may not. And I know that there are probably accounts listening that are, like, banging their heads on the table saying, no, you should always insist. Um, I think it's a, the best idea possible to separate your assets from your business, even if it's not a separate legal entity. So if I'm Kelly Herb Catwalker, um, I would prefer, if I'm your lawyer, I prefer you to have a separate Catwalker um, bank account and a separate Catwalker credit card and then your personal stuff. Realistically, as a busy mom, as somebody who owns a business, um, I get that that's not always going to happen, mm-hmm. especially if it's a side gig or um, if you're freelancing. Because it's much easier with I'm the herb law firm, which is my my 
a law firm. If it's the herb law firm, it's a whole lot easier for me because we have that already set up. I have a person, I have a bookkeeper, I have, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who pays my bills for me. I don't have to do that. But if it's just me, then yeah, you mix things, right? But when you mix things, first, as I mentioned, you're confusing things for the IRS on an audit. And then second, you're potentially putting that liability protection that you work so hard at, at risk. Because now you've said to creditors, you're not really supposed to touch my personal assets because they're completely separate from my business, except for the times that I've decided they're not. So, you know, you're kind of blurring that line. And so it's really important, I think, to try to keep things separate. And if you're finding yourself um, needing to loan your business money or uh, those kinds of things, you should really try to formalize those agreements, even if it's making notations, promising to pay back that kind of stuff, just so it's not so loosey-goosey. But I, I, I agree, though, that when you get overwhelmed, it becomes really easy to just, you know, I'm transferring money back and forth or, or whatever is easy. I'm going to I'm going to um, use my business car for my personal use because I'm going to get rid of my my personal car and we'll just call it, you know, my business car. But the IRS says, where's your regular car and you don't have one, then that, you know, becomes problematic. So you have to be careful. When you're when you're blurring those lines, yeah. Um, on the white collar side, there there's something similar because, uh, for example, if your business is deemed a uh, a criminal enterprise, for example, mm-hmm. um, what they uh, what they can do is they could seize seize your assets, or they could um, or um, or they could freeze your assets, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's helpful to be able to have clear tracing of yes. what was acquired outside of the business and what was acquired inside the business. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times people will will come to us and and say the 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 wife's personal assets got frozen by the uh, by the uh, U.S. Attorney's office, and she had nothing to do with anything potentially. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I, I don't. I'm, I mean, what I mean is the innocent spouse, not the wife. Yeah, sure, I mean, sure. The innocent spouse. Yeah. But, but she doesn't. But the records aren't clear that this was actually money that she inherited from her her parents. Right. And now, now they've come into the the the, um, the combined funds, and perhaps what they've done is they've they've used money to buy a house. Mm-hmm. So now, how to you know how to unpack all of that? So that it can uh, to find out what are tainted assets and untainted assets can be really difficult. Yeah, we see that in the tax world a lot too, though, because if you if you're if you're moving assets back and forth, you know, I I have a, a client whose husband got into a lot of a lot of trouble, and all of a sudden, the IRS was trying to seize their personal bank accounts. Um, they were they got a levy notice, and she's like, "But but this isn't have anything to do with me," and. You know, that's a lot that becomes more expensive trying to prove that it doesn't have anything to do with you. And then the other thing um, that you mentioned when you were talking about uh, like commingling and how it can can potentially be um, problematic is there so many times that you mentioned uh, spouses, it it does tend to be wives in my uh, um, experience that kind of get sucked into some of this. Of course. when, when, when people first start their businesses and they want to either look bigger than they are or they, 
they all of a sudden the wife becomes the, or the spouse, but often the wife becomes the secretary of the corporation or becomes the tax matters partner. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that kind of going back to the trust fund tax issue. I'll mm-hmm. tell you a, like a devastating story. I had a client who, um, years ago got a, she was in an abusive relationship, left, um, got a job thought things were better, got a notice that she owed hundreds of thousands of dollars to the state in sales taxes um, for a company that she had never worked for. And we investigated and it was her husband's company. And at one point in the relationship, she had signed some paperwork agreeing to be a tax matters partner. She was treasurer. She She didn't sign tax returns or anything, but she signed the early papers. So when he did not have any money to pay these bills because he spent it, they went after her and it was really hard. It was, it, it was expensive to get them to even listen to her because they had a piece of paper she had signed and she admitted she had signed it. Um, but she didn't know what it meant. And so when you talk about, you know, going out after uh, commingling, one of the things I counsel people a lot is that you know, your business is your business. If it's intended to be a family business, that's one thing. I have a law firm with my husband. That's very different than I'm going to start a business and I'm going to get people in my family to sign things so that we look bigger or because you have to have two people in Pennsylvania to form a company or whatever. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have enough genuine people to to start the business, maybe it's not time to start the business. Like there are those kinds of discussions you need to have rather than kind of ending up with these collateral damage from other folks that you didn't intend to necessarily suck into this problem. I mean, in this, in her case, she had a husband that wasn't willing to, uh, or an ex-husband that wasn't willing to admit that it was his fault, but you know, she'd never had anything to do with this company ever, never. And, but she was on the hook. Well, I'm pretty much in the collateral damage business, so oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so I am, and I, I, it's not really a joke, but unfortunately, there's just so much wreckage, mm-hmm. and um, untangling it from a uh, emotional and spiritual, and all these things go together because mm-hmm. um, we don't like to see relationships break up, we don't like right. to see marriages break up, but sometimes or often. Uh, when people are, are are at the extremes of of crises, um, these things happen. You know, this is probably a good jumping off point to talk about SBA and PPP and and a PPP loan forgiveness because I don't know about you, but I I'm getting a lot of calls just because of the uh, um, my podcast with you and from the Forbes articles and the Entrepreneur articles. I'm getting calls from people, and it could be as simple as um, I own a pizzeria and I put my, uh, um, um, I wrote, I, I wrote down that my, my wife and kids are employees so that they can get it, they can get additional, um, additional funding and potential forgiveness on PPP. Um, so am I in trouble? Right. Yeah, um, no, I'm saying that too. It's, it's, there were a lot of people, and you and I talked about this before, but I think there were a lot of people who found themselves in a desperate situation and then rushed to get these loans that they didn't give you a whole lot of time to consider. Right. And they maybe made missteps. And, you know, the, the feds have made no secret about the fact that they're 
they're uh, chasing people down. I probably have the opposite call from you, though. Um, I, I have been getting calls from businesses where they people are worried. But I've also been getting a lot of emails. And I think it has a lot to do with where we are right now mm-hmm. in terms of the economy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but people who are angry and trying to rat other people out because they're convinced that, you know, there's no way that Jeff's driving that car he's driving with his pizza parlor not being open. Um, and the, the SBA does have hotlines, um, and they have encouraged people to reach out for clear cases of fraud. But I do think that there is some real, um, anger over people who are seeing maybe that Kanye West company got some money, maybe right. that the Lakers got some money and they feel like, how come everybody else is getting something and I'm not, and that's not fair. So they're kind of throwing other people under the bus. Um, I have gotten a few, (laughs) quite a few emails asking me how they can turn somebody in. Um, So I I refer them to the the SBA uh, page on that. There's a website, a place where people can report. But one of the things I um, I used to uh, talk about a lot in the tax world is, um, you know, the idea of revenge porn that, you know, you're going to get somebody Mm -hmm. back. The, the same thing happens in the tax world. Um, this idea that you're going to turn somebody in for tax fraud, um, same kind of thing with the loan fraud, um, to kind of get back at them. Do you feel like, and it's often employees that are angry because they were maybe paid under the table for a while and now right. they feel cheated. And so they're going to get back at, um, they, they have, they have something on you. Yes. And I have this and spouses. Mm-hmm. I have it with spouses too. My husband's been cheating on his taxes for 10 years and I just found out he's cheating on me. So uh, I want to turn him in. Um, and they don't always understand that when you throw that person under the bus, they're going to drag you with them, especially Mm. spouses, um, and, and employees, same thing. Like it's, if you, if you turn in your employer because he was paying you illegally for 10 years and he didn't pay you your last quarter. So now you're really mad. Um, you need to remember that you best be sure that your books show that you've been reporting that income that you've been paid for the last 10 years. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing like, um, there's a lot of palpable anger um i do think it's because again you you can't see the unemployment numbers that we're seeing you can't see the businesses going under that we're seeing and then people are looking and they're saying who's getting all of this money where are these trillions of dollars going and why aren't they going to me and this doesn't seem fair and i'm pretty sure that jeff drives a nicer car than me you know and that that kind of thing so i'm i'm a little fearful that some of the coverage i've talked about this on twitter some of this coverage of PPP fraud is turning into like PPP loan shaming. Where oh yeah, a lot of it, a lot yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, and especially when the transparency um, came out, where they listed the businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had so there are entire threads <laughs> on social where people are trying to rat out, well, not rat out, but kind of figure out who got money because you know if you got under the hundred fifty thousand, you only had to put the code. And the area. So right. people are like, wait a minute, it's a beauty shop and it's in Glenmore. That must be Mary's place, you know, and, and they're trying <laughs> to figure out like who, no, it's true. It's, I know. Sad, it's true. But I think that it's because again, I think people fear that other people are getting something they're not. And I think that part of the blame for all of this is that lies with the SBA in the way that it, this was rolled out and people knew things and then they didn't. And 
but a, a lot of it is it's a it's kind of a perfect storm of there's timing pressure there's economic pressure there's you know there was report i think it was in the guardian there was a report recently about um the numbers of workers that they fear are claiming depression now from not being able to go to work yeah so there's this whole like sense of isolation that we're feeling because we're mm -hmm. all at home you can pull these things together and it's just creating this perfect storm of some angry people and then you then you see the people who really are cheaters and so they're like ha look that person got caught because they were a really bad person this is this whole idea like right like you've done something terribly wrong i'll bet there's more people like that out there and yeah. that's what i'm hearing yeah I, th I think there is a lot of schadenfreude out there for people but also the, the kanye west um criticism for example mm -hmm. i'm just using him as a as an example mm -hmm. um how can you be too big to fail and at the same time claim you're failing you know it, it feels like we're getting I mean, whipsawed between those things well and i but i think that that's part of the 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 difficulty is that you don't you didn't have to for the ppp prove that you were failing like you mm. have to for some of the other things like um you have to show for the employee retention credit some of the other tax benefits right. you have to show that you suffered for the ppp i forget the wording i don't have it in front of me but i think you just had to show that there was a potential to fail and that's what i think when the lakers and shake shack and a couple of the other places uh organizations that gave back the money yeah one of the things that they made a point of saying is they didn't break any rules because if you look at the certifications it says something about economic uncertainty if you're not if you're not sure mm -hmm. and so that's the justification right but i i agree with you i think that that's why a lot of folks gave it back too but but there's also scale issues that i think sometimes people get lost on because you know I what i can i can have one employee in my business and be able to pay them mm -hmm. but maybe not have a thousand people in my business that i can pay and right. i think that that's some of the scale issues aren't fair sometimes because people look at numbers mm -hmm. and not the whole point of the ppp loans was to keep people on the payroll right? right so it's a good idea and and we want people to to stay we want people to be paid and if that's what they're using the money for and people are getting paid, that's a good thing. I think whether you are a 200 employee business or a two employee business, I think where, again, it gets difficult is if you have somebody like a Kanye going and publicly claiming that you are doing amazing and you're going to be a billionaire and, you know, and then saying, but I can't pay my employees. I mean, I right. think that's the disconnect. And there was there was another, and I can't remember the business, but there was um, another business where the guy actually got shamed into returning it because he had been publicly stating how well he was doing. Yeah, Forbes. It was a Forbes article mm -hmm. um, at where the the guy was saying how well he was doing, and then they found out that he had gotten a lot of money from the PPP. And uh, but I but I do think that we have to be careful not to equate getting a ppp loan with being a failing business because the whole idea is to keep your business successful yeah um so as as you and i talked about before if you're actually failing then maybe the ppp loan wasn't the thing that you needed like maybe there's an overhaul that's needed yeah um rather than just like a lifeline i mean this is meant to be kind of like a lifeline to keep you going so there's a lot of articles um lately about how maybe ppp loans or maybe um even the EIDL loans are are fool's gold. Mm -hmm. um, 
and because they only they, they can only cover a certain amount of time right and right. They, they don't last forever mm-hmm. and, three months right and so now we're in a situation where the pandemic and the economic uh, decline has lasted longer than the, the the corpus of the loans actually will cover right and and most of these businesses are emerging from the other side at the other side and things are not necessarily better and maybe what you have is a, a, a debt on top of of um, right of the problems and and some real uncertainty that's out there about what forgiveness is what well what will be forgiven and some advice even to not even attempt forgiveness now push it out to 2021 because the rules keep changing okay. and, may, and okay. maybe the and maybe the rules are going to get better so for example they'll just do blanket forgiveness for everyone say under $150,000 so what what's the right advice right now for someone who's made it through with the, with the help of uh, some assistance, the two, three, four month period, but now up against the wall, the restaurant is not going to make it, or we need to figure out how to limp along. When, when do we apply for forgiveness and, and what do we do now? Gosh, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> uh, well, no, it's true. Like one, of the, one of the things you said, this is where when I said earlier, when I was alluding to the fact that I do think some of the blame for what's happening rests with the SBA and Treasury mm-hmm. is these rules that are changing constantly. It's, you know, not only is it stressing on my entire profession, but it is, it's unfair to businesses. When you, it, p- pandemic aside, if I go to my bank tomorrow, and I say, you know what? I need $10,000. I just do. I, I can't pay my rent this month. Uh, you know, I, I have slow payers right now. What do I do? They're going to be really clear with me about how much I can borrow, what the use of that money is for, if there are any restrictions, there may not be, uh, when I have to pay it back, and under what circumstances it might not be, uh, I might not be able to. To repay it like there may be a forgiveness there may be a uh you know if, if you here's what happens if you don't pay it back right so you know maybe it's a secured maybe it's not like you know all of this before you sign the paperwork right the problem the problem with this ppp uh and eidl i will say is, is a little at least a little more um established so i think it's it's a different kind of a little bit of a yeah. different ball game but for ppp when you signed that paperwork, if you signed it, let's say you signed that paper, those papers in April, May. Right. Um, it, you, right now, there's been temporary guidance. There's been interim rule guidance. There's been final interim rule guidance. Constantly, we joke, Fridays at 4.15, the tax Twitter collectively waits to see if there's going to be new guidance. It's, it's, it's regular now. Um, and you are not necessarily anymore subject to the same set of criteria that you thought you were now the the aba i'm sorry the sba and treasury takes a different perspective um they think they're just tweaking um but so so when you ask the what do you do you know if you had if you had asked at the beginning of the program i would have said count you know figure out your your forgiveness period at the end submit your application like it was very very clear what you do 
Now there are options. There are alternative dates. There are the rules for forgiveness are changing. Um, the rules that were in both the Heels Act and the Heroes Act. So the, um, the Senate and the, the House Act, the Senate bill was, um, proposed, but not voted on in July and the House bill passed in, I want to say April, May? No, June. It was spring. Yeah. May, I think. Um, the, those, those are not law. Uh, those were proposals, but all of them have changes, have su uh, suggested changes to the rules. The other one that um, your listeners may be familiar with is the, uh, you know, you can't deduct the expenses associated with the, um, the money that you spend uh, out of the PPP because it's forgivable. Um, so the uh, Treasury is taking the position that you can't deduct those expenses. Um, some tax professionals feel that's the wrong uh, result. And they've actually asked Congress to address it. Congress keeps, depending on the week, saying, yeah, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. So people don't know if that's going to change. Um, it's really hard to give guidance right now. So I, can, I mean, I can't imagine being the small business asking, because if you ask five attorneys that question, I'll bet you'll get five different answers. Um, my so, answer is is to, to find someone that you trust and keep them informed and keep listening. Why don't we kind of explain the deductibility issue or, or unpack it just a little bit? Because okay. it seems to me that if what you bring in is income, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can offset it by expenses. Mm -hmm. But if what you're given is a gift, mm -hmm. then then you can't offset it, the expenses. Is that basically what they're saying? So, so yeah. So a lot of your, this is where you're going to get hate mail from uh, uh, tax professionals who don't agree with my assessment here. Um, I actually believe that the IRS is right on this to not grant deductibility for the expenses for the mm -hmm. exact reason that you said. Um, and, and before, before anybody like fires up your laptop to send me examples of when it doesn't make sense, I do agree that there are situations where it doesn't make sense. But for the most part, what they're saying is if I give you a hundred thousand dollars worth of income and you spend fifty thousand dollars, well, fifty is a weird number because it's going to mess up my math for the foot, but you spend sixty. Um, then you have 40,000 in income left over, right? Because you had $60,000 of deductible expenses. If you get $100,000 that we're not going to call income, IRS likes to match income to expenses, right. income to deductions. Mm -hmm. If you have those expenses, but you're paying it out of money that we're not going to tax you on to begin with, you should not be able to get that deduction. They're saying you're double dipping. Right. Um, there is some truth to that. Uh, so, um, I understand why IRS took the position that they took. The reason that I understand the anger, however, is that that was not made clear in the beginning. And there are si certain si situations, including payroll taxes and, and other, um, out-of-pocket expenses where it's not clear that it would be either includable in the forgiveness. There's lots of situations where you could end up with a, situation where you might be um you might be spending money out of pocket mm. that's not related to the forgiven piece mm. and you could not you may not come out ahead mm. so and you know tax geeks uh the, the ones that i associate with on social um many of them have put forth like concrete examples of how that could happen 
But overall, the idea is that if it's not income, it shouldn't be mm. um, deductible. But, you know, is it, if we were to all agree that that's the right result, it still doesn't take away from the fact that that was not made clear in the beginning. Mm. It also doesn't take away from the fact that more than one person in Congress has expressed, on both sides of the aisle, have expressed repeated concern about this not being in the bill. And then that's why there have been suggestions that there would this would be fixed in Congress. Um, I think what's driving people nuts, kind of, again, this, the theme that we've been talking about is mm-hmm. there's so much uncertainty. And, and when you're already in an uncertain economic position, if you're not sure where your next check is coming from, if you're not sure you're still going to have a job, to not know how the money that's been promised to you to help you is going to be treated overall just adds to that worry. It adds to that confusion. It adds to the expense because now you have to pay someone to help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's not fair. I mean, and I understand that again, this program was kind of rushed out, but how, how many months are we into it now that yeah. we still don't have any, any understanding and, and it, and it feels it feels like it's been top-down guidance. So sometimes people ask, uh, for example, people ask uh, Mnuchin questions, um, and then all of a sudden we have guidance. Um, we've seen that with stimulus checks as yeah, well. Of course, and yeah. So it's it's not it's it's hard, and I think that you know you know this too from money. Money is stressful the best of times. The thing that can sometimes make you feel better about the money is understanding what the next step is and understanding right. what your path is. So that's why when a taxpayer comes and they say, I owe this amount of money, that's why we talked about, like, let's prioritize. Let's figure out where you need to be. Let's figure out if, 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 if I told you that trust fund taxes were dischargeable today, but then they're not tomorrow, and then they are again t- the next day, that just creates constant agitation and worry. It's, it's mm-hmm. not helping you with certainty. That's why we don't do that. That's why the law is written the way it is. That's why we have the regs. That's why, you know, that's why people can help guide taxpayers into better situations. It's really difficult to guide people into better situations when you don't have that firm footing, when things are constantly moving. It's really hard. And it's my, I've I've talked about this a lot, but as much as it's frustrating for taxpayers and as much as it's frustrating for small business owners, you have to know that tax professionals we're we're sleeping at night we're not sleeping at night tossing and turning trying to figure out how we can help people mm-hmm. when the rules are changing all the time right. it's 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 hard so are are you saying or or is there some kind of implicit advice here that the most conservative way that you could look at this is um Government, if you're going to give me $100,000 in PPP money, I have to match it with 30%. Say, you'll give me 100000 but I have to put up 30000 because I might have to pay taxes. Well, you won't have to pay taxes on the hundred. I mean, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to scare anybody. The forgiveness piece is the forgiveness. I mean, unless you don't meet the criteria for forgiveness. Right. But, but the, the, it's not income to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's clear. 
where the problem is, is can you then deduct on top of that? Exactly. The kinds of, for example, payroll, which is what the whole point of it is. Payroll comes with extras, right? Right. Payroll is not just, I'm paying you $10 an hour. Payroll is, I have to pay my portion of Social Security and Medicare taxes. You have to pay your portion of Social Security and Medicare taxes. Um, There's going to be withholding. There's going to be state unemployment insurance. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And you know, which of these things can we deduct, especially if we have to pay out of pocket? And what if that goes over the hundred? I mean, that's where people, I think, are really confused. But the, but just to be clear, the the money itself, if it's forgiven, which if you follow the rules, it should be, um, is not intended to be taxable. The, the, the concern that people have is whether the expenses related to the money are also deductible. And right now, the answer is no. So um, where I'd like to head towards for, for the for the end of this of our conversation, which is by the way fascinating, and I oh, hope I, I love talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, and and what I'm I'm really hoping is that people aren't afraid to kind of dig their fingers into this because like this is your life, this is exactly. your business, and 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 this is kind of the most important thing that you can focus on right now because. It, because as hard as it is to launch a successful business, it's pretty hard to unwind one too. Absolutely. These are all things. Um, but what I'm seeing now is a lot of professionals who are out there in a hurry, um, who are claiming to have uh, um, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say magic wands, but like a lot of uh, big um, accounting firms, uh, um, law firms are having forgiveness portals, for example. Okay. And um, so they have, they have the calculations and they have the formulas. And um, obviously, you and I do a lot of reading on this subject. And, and what it seems to me is that the very best thing that I could do for myself or that someone could do for themselves if they are um, going to be... Um, uh, making an application for forgiveness is look at the rules are what what the rules are to file an appeal if you're turned down because everything that you need to produce to to um, move your appeal forward are really the same documents you need to be able to to apply for um, to apply for forgiveness right but what I don't think is that the people whose businesses are in decay, maybe they can't pay their professionals right now. They're, they're struggling just to pay their mortgages or their rent or, or even put food on the table. And yet some of these documents are super complicated. They're things that are an ordinary course of business documents. You have to actually put them all together. Right. And this is not like the kind of stuff that you can, at the, at the end of a business day, spread out on the bed. You have to have some innate understanding of the way these things go together. So, what do you do now? It's uh, what, what do I do if I if I if I can't afford professionals to ha- actually help me put my application together, and I don't want to start going down one of these portals of, from companies I don't know. Right. What? What what are the steps? Well, I so I'm gonna I'm gonna be so lawyerly and say you need help anyway. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of I, 
I, I think there's a misconception that it's always expensive to hire professionals and that professionals aren't for everybody. Um, there's somebody out there who's a good fit for you. Um, in terms of money, in terms of style, in terms of level of involvement, because there are people who sometimes want to do everything. They just want someone to hold their hand occasionally and like make sure they're going in the right direction. Um, so my, my advice would be, so I'm not going to answer your question the way I think you want to be, okay, that's right. but my advice is to, to find your person, like, like go out there and find, it doesn't have to be an attorney. It doesn't have to be a big law firm. Maybe it's a business coach. Maybe it's uh, an accountant. Maybe it's an enrolled agent. Um, find someone who can help keep pointing you in the right direction. And actually, I have a, 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 a podcast episode coming up shortly on the importance of bookkeeping. Because I think one of the things that we found out with PPP, with, with all of this lately, is the importance of bookkeeping, not only for the application at the beginning, but exactly what you're talking about now. So you don't have to scramble at the end. And you know what? If you, if you invest in the time to figure out your system, whatever that is, whether it's going to be just like QuickBooks, whether it's going to be hiring someone, whether if you take the time at the beginning to figure that out, it makes the end easier, right? Mm -hmm. Or the middle <laughs> easier. Um, I understand that by the time you're at the middle, you're of course thinking why, uh, you know, this isn't helpful for me because if I had known in the beginning, I would have done it in the beginning or not at the beginning now. Um, but you can still find your person now. You know what? Um, I will give you, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, I know I had a client who I kept saying, you need a payroll company. They didn't have a payroll company and um, they were constantly getting penalties because they weren't paying on time. They weren't paying the right amounts. Um, and I said, you need a payroll company. Well, the first couple of payroll companies that I referred the client to um, had a rule that you had to show, like demonstrated compliance for a certain period of time before they would take you on. Well, that wasn't helpful because the person was <laughs> floundering, right? Exactly. Like they needed someone. So we just kept banging on doors until we found the company that said, you know what? Show us that you paid last quarter and let's start fresh. Mm. And that's, and that was what they needed. Mm -hmm. And you know what? And then it wasn't a problem anymore. I mean, they had some other issues from before, but like moving ahead, they weren't the problem. That wasn't a problem anymore. And I think that's sometimes that's what you need to be able to do. Mm -hmm. You need to say, you know what? I really screwed this up for a period of time. It's going to be hard to fix. I'm not going to give it up. Like, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to fix it, but I need to figure out how to get started moving forward. And sometimes that's really easy. Like I tell my clients a lot of times, like if you're coming to me and you tell me that you haven't filed for 10 years, that doesn't mean you can't file this year, right? Like file this year and say, moving forward, I'm going to do these the right way. And then we'll go back and fix all the problems. Yeah. So brilliant. if, if you're, if you're sitting down and you're thinking I'm overwhelmed because I can't figure all this out, figure out what you need at that moment to move forward. And then we'll figure it out later. And I do think that that, you know, it's, it's true in tax, it's true in business, it's payroll taxes, it's all of that stuff. Cause it can be so overwhelming when you, you're, when you talked about, um, putting everything on the bed, like I've been there, like I know that moment of sitting just surrounded by papers, whether it's IRS notices or whatever. And it can be so overwhelming. It's overwhelming for my clients. 
I'm a business owner. I've been there too. Um, we got audited years ago. Like it happened. Um, you have these moments where, you know, it feels very over overwhelming. And, and I think that, you know, the best thing that you can do is to look forward and say, I'm going to find my way out of this and, and we'll figure it out the, the rest later, which right. is not to say you ignore all the stuff that went on. Cause I did say there are assessments and there's time for collections. You don't want to forget about all of that. But don't get so bogged down and the not that you can't move forward at all. Like right. just trudge through. Um, and again, and I think so much of that has to do with finding the, your person, finding yeah. somebody that you can work with, finding someone you trust. Like one of the things you and I talked about in the last program is, you know, money, especially money, money in business, it doesn't affect, like it doesn't stop at your checkbook. It affects your relationship with your spouse. It affects your kids. Like it affects you know, where they're going to school, can you pay for their college? Can, you know, what do your neighbors think? Maybe you don't care what your neighbors think, but, but those kinds of things, those relationships, they're all affected by money and it can all kind of get bogged down. So you need somebody that can help you sort that out. Yep. And, and, and again, there, your person could be a different kind of person for every listener that you have. So it's not yep. going to be, I'm not saying run out and get a lawyer. Um, although it's good to know a good tax lawyer, <laughs> but, but I'm not saying run out and get one. I'm saying that it could be different for every person. And I would just, if you're, if you're that small business person and you're like, I want to do all this myself, I'm going to tell you right now that you can't. Mm -hmm. Um, I run a small business and I don't, I mentioned at the top of the program, I have a person. Um, I don't do it all myself and I went to school a long time <laughs> to figure yeah. all this out. So you, you can't do it all yourself and you're yeah. not, you shouldn't be expected to. And if you can't, you know, it's it's okay to be human and say, I need help. I think mm -hmm. that's important. Well, this, this is just another manifestation of, um, of why we tell people that it's isolation that destroys you and that the solution is in community. I mean, but as, as the walls start to cave in and you're feeling, mm -hmm. and you're feeling that, that, that trauma, it can be very easy to isolate. So, the, so uh, here, here's the answer. Just just push through and ask for help because there's help out there in, yeah. all, in all kinds of different forms. Yeah, so and, you, and there's also there's also free help available. I mean, not necessary for like PPP necessarily, but there is there's free legal help available. There's free yeah. tax help. There's mm -hmm. SBA. Like I should say, since I bashed them earlier, SBA <laughs> actually has like if you go in like obviously can't do it right now because of the pandemic, but when you go into their um, their offices. They have small business workshops. They'll help you put together yep. business plans. They'll look at your business plan and say, this is or is not working. Here's what you need to do. So there are a lot of resources out there. You just have to be like, you know, keep your eyes open and your mind open to, to yeah. listen to, to advice. Yeah. And, and all kinds of other different places like SCORE and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, county foundations and small business, all kinds of different resources. Chambers and, of Commerce. Exactly. And sometimes even your bank, like I mentioned earlier, if you have a good relationship with your bank, you know, why not? To, uh, and I'll tell you another quick story. I know that you, uh, you had a quick point, but when we very first started our law firm, um, I, I'm the world's worst for collecting bills. Like mm. I hate it. I, I just want people, like I wish people would just pay me in advance so I don't ever have to ask anybody for money. I hate it. Um, or, or if I could just do it for free all day long, that would be even better. Um, but we would have clients that were slow payers. And I didn't care at all, um, which was the wrong attitude. 
right. 100%. Mm-hmm. And we had this bank. We were a small bank at the time in Philadelphia. And we had this bank. And um, we were at a, a social event one day. And one of the VPs was there. And he walked up to me and just kind of made a joke. We were, And he's like, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And I'm like, what? And he's like, cash flow. And um, I knew what he meant. And, you know, but I just kind of like, oh, you're funny. Um, and then a few months later, we had a big client who was arrested for um, embezzlement. Mm-hmm. They owed us a ton of money that we had foolishly expected them to pay um, and had spent some of what we expected on sure, um, our line of credit. Um, and we went to the bank to use our line of credit. And the banker was there and he's like, cash flow, cash flow, you know, cash flow. And, and I'm like, you're right. Like, and it was a good moment for us. It was early on in the business. It was a good mm-hmm. moment because before that time, I thought I knew what I was doing. So right. even your bank can, and he's, he told, I mean, he, he, he's, that wasn't his first radio. Like he had seen businesses fail because they might have healthy receipts, but if they are not regular, it can be problematic. And he knew and I didn't. So people know more than you and it's okay to listen to them. So I was actually really grateful to our banker for instilling us. I wish I'd list, listened faster before, <laughs> before our client was arrested. But, um, but you know, it was, it was a moment where we, we started sure. talking about revisiting our, the way we did billing. It was, so, it was good. So Kelly, Kelly, tell tell us all um, how to reach you and uh, what your okay. your your website and your various uh, outlets where people can find your writing because it's brilliant. Oh, uh, thank you. So I'm easy to find. Um, my website is taxgirl.com, and you can find me on social practically anywhere at taxgirl. So Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and I also write a column for Forbes. So if you just Google Forbes Tax Girl, you'll find me. And I have a weekly column that comes out on Thursdays with uh, Bloomberg Tax. Wonderful. Kelly, so wonderful to spend time with you again. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, let's make sure we stay in close touch because I'm sure there's a lot of cool things we can do together. 100%. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for being with us, Kelly. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.